Welcome to Heritage Tree, where we talk about heritage care and development for people and organizations. And now to our host, Dr. Dina Michelle Roscoe. Emotions and grief can be so many and complex, so challenging it feels a drowning, and yet the love is what keeps you afloat, the hope is what keeps you moving forward, and the knowledge that there are other people too, that you are not alone, can help hold you up. Then deeper still, the validation of the person. King David says in verse 22, 2 Samuel chapter 1, From the blood of the slain, from the fat of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan did not turn back, and the sword of Saul did not return empty. If you know the story, he more or less fell upon his own sword, but that did not work out for him. So he begged a young man to finish the job. As gruesome as this is, I want to highlight something precious, precious in the account of David that is again a glimpse of grace. The sword of Saul did not return empty, he says. The person still matters. The person always mattered. The person mattered yesterday, will matter today, and tomorrow. The person matters. He matters. She matters. His presence was there. His presence filled that space. Her presence was there. Her presence filled that space. His presence is here. Her presence is here. Their presence fills this place. We are only touching the surface of what life is. And in the moments of grief, when you're shattered and splintered in so many different pieces, you are not empty. You may have been emptied of something incredibly precious that no one or no thing or no demon or Satan Satan from the pit of hell had any right to take, but you are not empty. You are not empty because the person you love was and is real. The person you love was and does exist. Their presence filled a place. And what's incredibly humbling to me as a mother, reading Psalm 139, God writes our days in a book. He knows the number of them. Psalm 139 says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought from afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down. You are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You have hedged me in behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take my wings on the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, Surely the darkness shall fall upon me. Even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you. But the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. We are not empty. We have been emptied and we are not empty. And these two seeming opposite things do not need to be explained. Why? 
because they are not a matter of the head, they are a matter of the heart. And the heart naturally, physiologically, emits a greater electromagnetic field than the mind. And we have this connection, this connecting force to a God who holds holds us. In some respects, we predated our children, technically speaking. Although I will say that woman, the eggs that we carry from when we are born, that, well, figuratively and literally speaking, our mothers carried us. And we go back a couple generations that way. The connections that we have, we don't always see, but they're there. Reading on in verse 13, For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they were all written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there was none of them. In our grief, we want to know why. Maybe we want to know even how. How can? Questions. And maybe God is saying, not why or how, but here. Here I am. There I was, and there I will be. The substance he saw when we were yet unformed, yet unformed as we look now, he will change in the blink of an eye. It's promised in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Revelation verse chapters 19 to 22, all speak of this transformation in the blink of an eye. A trumpet will sound and the voice of Christ Jesus will unstop the ears of the dead in the prophets in Isaiah describes a gathering, a gathering together of all God's children. Ephesians and other places describe and hint at how even Christ Jesus himself harrowed hell. He ministered to the spirits in hell. He was in heaven, came down to earth, born a baby, completely displaced, not welcomed in his own hometown, not welcomed even by his family at the time, pursued by his government, forsaken by his religious leaders, and and plotted against his very life. Jesus encountered every injustice, every suffering. He was mangled, it says, beyond appearance. He knows, he knows, he knows he was there. You are not alone. He is here. You are not alone. He is there. You are not alone, and you will not be alone. Some of us might say, especially parents, well, I don't care about me. What about them? What about my child? Was he alone? Was she alone? What happened to them is not right, and no, it was not. And it never will be. Time won't change that, nor should it, because grace validates, validates. And another thing that validates is justice. Reading in verse 17, How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God, how great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I am awake, I am still with you. Sand, silica, as what we, from what we make glass. If lightning strikes it, glass forms. Sand. God promised Mary that her son 
would save the world. God promised Father Abraham that his descendants would outnumber the stars in the heavens and the sand on the shore. Indeed, we are of the makeup of stars. Even ashes to ashes, dust to dust, sand. It is of the stars. It is of light. It is still a remnant of who God matters, of what God matters. We are not empty. We have been emptied. We are not alone. We can take courage or at least a small comfort of that in those moments of being shattered and moving forward as a shattered person. We can find encouragement because it also says in the Psalms, God is close to the brokenhearted and he saves those crushed in spirit. It never was about us saving the day. It's about the presence of the Lord and his love being powerful enough, present enough, perfect enough, complete enough for us to make us whole enough to live to see another day until our time has come and until he comes back, until he wakes us all up again and makes everything right. And in that moment, it says, we will be transformed in a blink of an eye. We shall be changed. We shall see him finally as he is. We see him now through the veil of our sorrows, through the veil of grief, through the veil of a broken world, through the veil of trauma, through the fractured existence of what it feels like to try to motion through a day. We are not fixer-uppers. He's not trying to fix us. He's trying to grow us. He's trying to heal us. He's trying to be with us and walk with us. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Psalm 23, famous Psalm. David, King David, a king anointed by God, yet plagued and tormented his whole life, his whole adult life, and probably as a child by his older brothers. (laughs) Scarce a moment of peace for him, save the latter half of his life, when as Job, God blesses him with a double portion for his sorrows. Every tear you cry is an investment. And maybe God will be gracious and restore to us in the land of the living, but it won't change what's missing. Job still lost his children. Eve still lost Abel. Mary still lost Jesus. Rachel still passed in childbirth, and so her firstborn lost his mother. The enemy likes to devour, steal, kill, and destroy, Jesus warned. And what's the point of knowing that? Just that when you're shattered, we're not here to put you back together. We're here to redeem the pieces left. You would think that the prophets, people who proclaim God's word, would be celebrated, but Jeremiah and Isaiah know. And yet, Jeremiah still said, he asked God, redeem the years that the locusts have eaten. Because God's grace respects our limits. Some people, a lot of people, say grace is unmerited favor. I like to think of grace as God respecting our limits. God being sensitive. As it says in Isaiah, a bruised reed he will not break. Jesus himself was the tender shoot that grew out. A bruised reed he will not break. Jesus himself, born in exile. He grew up to say and instruct his who would be religious leaders to tell them and say, have childlike faith. Welcome the 
children, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as them, to such as these, to such as him, to such as her. So many parents have lost children, so many people have lost loved ones, and so much of it seems unnecessary for those sufferings that could have had a medical advance or that gun that didn't need to be there in that place. You are not alone. We may have lost the presence of a person, of a life sacred to us, a relationship while a person may still live, a house or a home, a job, health, reputation, even our faith. But the spirituality remains that Jesus promised. His very name, Emmanuel, means God with us, so we are not alone. This, too, is the power of empathy, the power of love. To hold us, there's something deeper and more precious that God cherishes about us than whether or not we have it all together, whether or not our life looks a certain way. So we've talked about the validation of complex feelings the validation of the real pain of grief work, and the validation now of justice. The justice that can make a peace, without justice there is no peace. May justice rain down, said the prophet Amos. He was a farmer. He was just a guy doing his thing that God called, go tell these people this, and he's like, oh, here we go. Because you know, when you're a prophet, people don't usually really like you. You're not quite popular. You're popular in all the wrong ways, that you may not want to be popular and people know you and don't like you and you would rather just not be in that fishbowl. That's a little bit of leadership that gets put on you when you face loss, especially that of a trauma, a traumatic kind, a sudden kind that shouldn't be, that was unnecessary and preventable and therefore a matter of justice. We can advocate for her as the grief ebbs and flows as we make meaning and do the work over time as it passes as we gain support we might find a glimpse of a light of her catch a glimpse of a glimmer of a reminder of him that gives us hope and encouragement that feels their presence in our lives and we want to continue that memory this too is a healing grief that can scale and spread as a healing balm to the world Jesus is a tender shoot would grow into that kingdom tree that he talks about in the Gospels that would be a respite for all the birds of the air. He took his suffering and he used it for empathetic leadership that seems so lost today that we need so very much. That presence of an abiding kind that gets you, that can be real, and that still loves you and that still shows up. We cannot decrease our sorrow, but we can increase our joy. We can advocate for justice. We can advocate so that others do not need to suffer in this way. This is the call of Christ in the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, when he goes down the list of blesseds. In this world, we'd be blessed. We'd be considered blessed if we were famous or if we made a lot of money or if we looked good or seemed to have a squeaky clean role on Instagram. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. There is a grief so deep, so shattered. It don't want comfort. Why do I want comfort? I'm mad. This should not have happened. Give me some justice, and then I might have a sliver of comfort enough to move forward just a little bit. 
but not so far to move away from that pain because the pain reminds me that it was wrong and it reminds me of my love. Just remember that valley of the shadow of death. When you're on a walk or a hike, eventually you do make it to the scenic view. This is a call for endurance. Scriptures say again, it's not the will of God that anyone should perish. And we know this because at the advent of Jesus, now this is Christmas time. Don't you just love all the pressure to be happy and to buy a lot of stuff? You buy it, it comes in a box, you wrap it, you unwrap it, you go take the cardboard to the recycle bin or the transfer station or buy nothing in or somehow try to get rid of it. Make a cardboard fort for the little ones. And you reorganize the stuff in your house. And then you get last year's stuff and pack it up and donate it. Or, you know, if you're fortunate enough to have stuff. Someone I know who lost somebody two days before Christmas. They took all their Christmas decorations down. They weren't having that this year. We all grieve in different ways. And whatever way makes sense for you in that moment is what you do. I promised to tell you about the advent of Jesus. When the angels came, who did they appear to? The rich and wealthy? Those in the palaces? The white people? (laughs) Or whatever part of the world you're in, that's the group that's esteemed. Come on now. This is also the work of the enemy. Violence is not the work of God. The angels appear to shepherds. Those who were doing the work. Those who were stinky and smelly. Those who were despised, if they had lawns then, which they didn't, but if they did, like here, and if they had a sign on their lawn, instead of a little dog squatting with the X on it, they would have probably had a shepherd with the X on it. They despised the shepherds. Of course, their economy depended on them to make wool and to sell it in the marketplace, but they despised them. But friends, God appeared to them. The angels appeared to them. God sent his messengers to them to be the first to tell. He didn't send them to the wise men. The wise men had to work. The wealthy had to work to go find Jesus. There was a star in the sky and at least they were studied because they had resources and there's nothing wrong with that. And thankfully, they still had the same faith. They had the same faith to notice what the religious peers did not that there's the star, better go. They had action in their faith. They did something about it. They didn't just say, oh, it's there. Is that it? I'm not sure. Let's check the books again. Let's write a report about it. Let's let's go converse with Congress and see if this is something we should decide upon or not. No, 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 no. They packed, they left, they went at their own expense. And it took months. It took until Jesus was about two years old for them to find him. So they traveled very far. Their faith put in the work. Faith puts in work because faith is the catalyst to action. Thank you for joining us. If you like what you heard, tip us at the link below. And inquire, subscribe, and shop our merchandise label of Heritage Tree and Heritage at dinamichellerosco.com and dogwoodgroup.io. Come back again when we gather around the Heritage Tree.